You want bread? See a baker. Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world celebrating films where helicopters explode. Rap foo, kung hop, hip hop, chop socky. While there isn't an official name for this peculiar action movie subgenre, you'll doubtless know the type. Yup, we're talking about movies such as Exit Wounds, Romeo Must Die or Cradle to the Grave, where, for reasons lost in the mists of time and very likely in a blizzard of cocaine, producers were falling over themselves to put rappers into martial arts movies. Sadly, this era, which blossomed briefly in the mid to late 90s, appears to be over. But that doesn't mean we can't wallow in nostalgia by taking a look at one of the curiosities of this most odd action trend. So on this show, we're looking at China Strike Force, a film that saw martial arts luminary Mark Dacascos teamed up with everyone's favourite sticky up haired rapper Coolio. To help me review the film, I'm joined by a man who's as happy busting bones as he is busting rhymes. It's Alex Rallo from One Perfect Headshot. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hey, Will. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, have you on because uh, you're the man behind uh, one of my favourite uh, Twitter accounts on the uh, on the internet, uh, One Perfect Headshot. And uh, I guess for anybody who hasn't had the pleasure, do you want to tell people a little about what you uh, do over there on that account? Uh, sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the praise. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's really nothing much. Uh, so uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided to create a Twitter account that like every day I would post uh, like, you know, a, a, do you say GIF or GIF? GIF. I say GIF. A GIF. So every day I would post a, a GIF of um, a headshot from a movie. So, you know, people's head being blown off or just shot in the head or <laughs> decapitated. Uh, I don't think I think actually I don't think I've seen someone decapitated by a helicopter blade. Is that is that a thing? Um, hmm. I think I have seen it in some it might be a zombie movie. I think I have seen it happen. But uh, okay. I, if, um, I, if yeah, I remember I, it, I will certainly let you know. Thank you. I need to investigate. So yeah, I did, I did that for a whole year. Uh, every day, a different headshot um, posted on the account, and uh, because like really the 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 aim was that I wanted to you know to encourage conversation on Twitter in film Twitter about maybe lesser known movies, you know, stuff that's not talked about all the time. And after a year, I realized it was a lot of work. And it yielded little results, so I kind of left the headshots aside uh, and started like another approach. So now I'm I'm posting scenes from movies that I think uh, are interested uh, interesting to discuss, like or to put into context. You know, uh, when the movie happened, what did they do differently regarding what had been done before in the genre, um, these kind of things. I don't know exactly how many movies I watch a year. I don't, I don't really keep count. But uh, anytime I see a, a scene that I think would be good to post online, then I, I just, you know, I just, I just clip it and uh, post it in the account and hope that um, people will find it interesting. That's it. Okay. Well, I think it's uh, time to get stuck into China Strike Force. So, given the complete unsuitability of the trailer, let's get a flavor of the action by hearing a clip from the film. Tim, Tony. I always knew I loved China. Hey, take out twice a week, you know what I'm saying? Egg rolls, chow mein, chop sweet, gorgeous cookies, all that shit. 
This country's like a big-ass buffet to me. Yes, it's going to be very profitable. You done came a long way from hustling pussy and selling dime bags. You know what I'm saying? This is our time, baby. I'm Tony. I know you remember this man, right? My friend from the fashion show. You did well. Hey, you said someone good that nobody knew. My main man, Lee, here, he's my own personal bodyguard back in L.A. I should go. So, well, go then, fool. What's keeping you? My bread. Ah. Oh, you want bread? Yeah. See a baker. Necessary. Job's over. Who wanted to see China? He saw it, and now I'm sending the last home by water. Darren and Alex are both members of an elite police team. While they're attending a fashion show organised by Alex's girlfriend, one of the guests is brutally murdered. When the assassin escapes, after the ensuing shootout and chase, their investigation focuses on a mysterious Japanese woman who was also at the crime scene. The trail leads to a local mobster and his ambitious nephew, Lau, who is looking to set up a massive drug smuggling operation in cahoots with a Los Angeles gangster. Naturally, the plot isn't completely straightforward and there are double crosses and the revelation of secret identities, but the whole thing essentially boils down to a cops v drug dealers battle. Uh, the biggest name in the cast, at least from a European perspective, is Mark uh, Dacascos. You might know him from the uh, cult martial arts film Drive, Cradle to the Grave, or more recently John Wick 3. In the role of a Los Angeles gangster called Coolio, we have none other than Coolio, the Los Angeles-born rapper most famous for singing Gangster's Paradise. I know, so confusing. Alongside him are a few names who will be well known to Asian audiences, but perhaps less so to uh, those of us based in Europe. So uh, the two cops are played by uh, Aaron Kwok and uh, Lee Hong Wang, while the mysterious Japanese woman is played by uh, Narika Fujiwara. Behind the camera is Stanley Tong, who is best known for directing a bunch of Jackie Chan films, including Rumble in the Bronx and First Strike. Uh, China Strike Force came out in uh, 2000 and has a 5.3 uh, rating on IMDb. So now that I've laid out uh, all the background, let's find out what my guests thought. So, uh, Alex, what did you make of China Strike Force? Well, when you when you suggested that um, we had a look at this film, I was very intrigued because it's one of one of the few Stanley Tong's films that I've never seen before, actually. And, you know, looking at China Strike Force within Tong's uh, filmography, well, certainly not his best. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very peculiar film, I think. So he's, he's coming back from America. Just before that, he made uh, that American film, uh, Mr. Magoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like an adaptation of, uh, of uh, I think it was a, a cartoon, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. So, yeah, he made Mr. Magoo in the US and that didn't work out at all. Like, it was, it was a complete commercial failure and artistic failure. Actually, I had a, I watched it recently for, to prepare for the podcast and I was baffled at, <laughs> the, at how bad it, 
uh, how much it doesn't work actually. It's like it's like an attempt at mixing Chinese and American comedy styles, and it just it just doesn't work at all. So anyway, he comes back from that like so he'd had a, you know a string of successes with Jackie Chan movies, and then he makes that American film, which is abysmal. And then he goes back to Asia and chooses to go to Shanghai, where to shoot China Strike Force. And but at the same time, he you know he he keeps that international vibe that he mm. had in in his previous movies. Uh, so it's it's you know because he has uh, international stars. And I was honestly expecting something that would be on the level of his uh, police story movies, uh, which it isn't. Definitely isn't. Mm. It's just strange, like the way um, the way it seems that not as much care was put into writing the script as was done on his previous films, uh, because I found it was a very very oddly balanced script in in, yeah. in regards to the screen time of the heroes mm. <laughs> and the villains. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but it's, this is a, at some stage in the film, maybe for 20 minutes, the two cops just disappear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just uh, Dacascos and Curio mm. uh, meeting the Japanese woman and then, you know, mm. like just, just doing stuff together and, you know, making racist jokes and <laughs> <laughs> being in a jacuzzi and going to see, see that person and then that other person. It's just, it's, it's just very strangely written. And then when the action when the action uh, kicks off, I don't think it's bad. Actually, there's a couple of interesting things. Uh, for me, mainly the like the the, the chase at the beginning. There's a, a like a, a chase between a guy who is on on the, on the double decker bus chased by the cop who is on the motorcycle, mm. uh, and then there's another chase uh, a bit a bit after that with a Formula One and a Lamborghini. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then at the end, at the very end, the, the last uh, action set piece was also uh, was also interesting to me. Other than that, is pretty run of the mill. I don't know. What do you think? I I think have a very similar opinion to yourself because I I thought this is a I thought this was a pretty decent film. It's maybe a little above average, but I mean it, it's it's very conventional in in lots of ways, and it's really only. I mean, it would be a very forgettable film if it wasn't for some of the great stunts that, that you've mentioned. And it would be completely forgettable if it wasn't for a very bizarre performance from Coolio. Um, as you say, uh, you know, the rest of the film is is very run of the mill, very nondescript. And um, I, I, I agree with you. I think there are some problems with um, the, the balance of the film. You know, I don't know if there are too many characters, but certainly Stanley Tong doesn't know how to balance all of the characters. So you've got these two policemen, you've got um, Coolio and Mark Cascos as the two villains. You also then have this third factor, um, who's this mysterious Japanese woman, uh, Narika Fujiwara. Um, you then also have... Um, kind of Mark Dacascos's boss and the kind of the boss of the uh of the of the two policemen and you know I don't want to go into too many spoilers here but they all have particular roles to play in this film and the film it it doesn't really know how to as you I think the, the it's I think it's exactly what you said it the film is just not weighted properly between those those particular elements you know maybe there's too many maybe they could be balanced better but the, the the mix of them that you get in this it just doesn't work at all you know information about the production of the film is really scarce online actually information period about the film is quite scarce which is quite surprising given that it's not it's not an old movie mm. 
but it's like when you when I watched the film, it really felt like uh, you know they had to manage the star's demands. Like it, it feels like you know Coolio will arrive, <laughs> see the script, and it's like oh, yeah, well, I need a few more lines here. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make them up. And uh, <laughs> so like then he's, he's talking about how China is a buffet to him or something like that. Which is, which is, no one who, who would think of a line like this. I mean, aside from him. So yeah, it feels it feels like maybe they had a maybe they had a title script which got a bit looser as they were shooting the movie, uh, and in the end, it's not perfectly balanced in the final mm-hmm. edit. Uh, but um, the two is mainly so Aaron Kwok obviously is is the the Asian star of the film for the Asian market because at the time he was fresh off two very big films, uh, the Storm Riders. Um, which came out in 98 and was a huge success. And it was like a kind of a, a, a Wuxia, so um, a sword, uh, you know, sword man mm. film uh, fantasy, uh, which was very, very popular. And there was 2080, which was a, like a, a futuristic thriller. Um, so they both, they both came out just before Channel Trackball. So he was a very bankable actor and I understand why he's in this and I understand his role, but his body played by Lee Hong Wang, it's just it's just a weak character to me. Mm. I don't really like. I I think I understand which when what kind of dynamic they wanted to go for, but also I don't think it works very well simply because they don't have enough screen time to develop it properly. Mm. Well, what dynamic do you think they were going for? Because I thought one thing that could really improve the film would have been to have had well to have improved the dynamic between them or to have any dynamic between those particular um, two cops. I thought that those two characters were were very were very bland, very vanilla. Um, you know, what what was the dynamic you think they were going for? Because I couldn't determine what what they were going for at all. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's the it's the first draft of the, of the dynamic. Really, is uh, I think the first the two key scenes are the first and the last one when they're together. So the first scene they're together is the opening scene of the film where it's a training exercise and. It shows how they work together and how they fail to work together properly. Mm. And then in the last scene that they're together in, so I'm not going to spoil it, but something happens that shows that um, their work dynamic uh, didn't change. Yeah, yeah it, like, but it didn't evolve in the direction that they wanted it to evolve mm. because a mistake is made. Um, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, that's that's the core of the dynamic for those two characters. The problem is that between those two points, there's absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, I think that is a, I think that's a really good um, observation as to, as to what uh, kind of goes wrong a bit between uh, those uh, characters. Um, what, what did you make of uh, Mark uh, Dacascos uh, in this film? I actually loved him in this film. <laughs> he was, Excellent. he was, yeah, he was, no, he was, he was over the top, but <laughs> Also, also, I think there was one detail that made the character work for me is that was that he was there was someone he had to answer to. So he had a boss like, you know, mm-hmm. Uncle Ma. So as a character, he was less overconfident and full of himself as he could be in other movies. So to me, that made the character work because like he knows how to handle Coolio and his shenanigans. But at the same time. <laughs> He also he's a very different character because he knows the notion of respect mm. and and like hierarchy, which Coolio completely ignores in the yeah. film. 
So, so that creates, you know, a nice distinction between the two. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about, uh, Dakaskos' character in the film is, <laughs> is his last scene, I suppose you could yeah. call it that. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a shame given his abilities, you know, as a, as a performer. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, aside from that, I thought he, he, because Coolio's character is so ridiculously over the top, then Dacascos' uh, way of downplaying it a bit when he's in front of Coolio works pretty well. Mm. But then in scenes where he's not, uh, you know, uh, bouncing off Coolio's uh, lines, he also can, like, you know, be a, a bit of a moustache twirling a villain, <laughs> which uh, which works perfectly fine in this film, and I think it's important actually because, as you said, the heroes are so bland. Mm. You need to add some colors to the characters, and that's where the villains come in. Um, I think he did. Yeah, I think he did pretty good with the material he was given, and uh, in his few, well, he he was, you know, as usual, very competent in his uh, fight scenes, unlike someone else who we will mention later on. Yeah, I completely agree. I I, th- I think uh, Dicascos and Coolio really um, uh, add some colour, really add some uh, pep to this film because the the two um, heroic leads are, are are really you know very very oh I mean they're just uh, like cinematic porridge. They're just very bland, one dimensional, and uh, yeah, if 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 Coolio and Dicascos aren't as you say bouncing off each other, this this film could become a real uh, chore to watch uh, but we've already sort of touched on it uh, a couple of points uh, in this uh, discussion already uh, I think we should spend a little bit of time specifically talking about uh, Coolio um, what did you what did you make of him uh, in this film uh, I'm, I'm gonna put I'm gonna lay my cards on the table uh, and just say it is one of the most bizarre turns in a in a film I've seen for I don't know for certainly for a little while. Yeah, you know the first thing is he's playing himself. <laughs> the, the character in the film is Curio, and <laughs> I like his name is Curio in the movie, which <laughs> I did not expect. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know, like, is he is he seeing himself in his character? Like, is, is it like a, a is it like a biographical? <laughs> take on what could have been if he had turned you know to a life of drug selling <laughs> crime i don't know but uh and if he knew kung fu um that's a big but, if <laughs> yeah it is no but you know I, I i touched on it a bit before but some of his lines they, they sounded like they were improvised maybe mm. i don't know or maybe he thought of them before but insisted on you know adding them to the script I really think they're improvised. Some of the stuff is just... Wait, who comes up with this stuff? Like, I don't know. Are you yeah. going to play a few clips maybe? I don't know if you're planning on... on yeah, I'll tell you what. Play. I might drop in a, uh, a clip here. Lambo. A what? A Lamborghini. It's Italian. You know what I'm saying? It's only telling those grease balls got. Man making Lambos and spaghetti. Everybody else is opera singers and gangsters. Well, thanks, partner. But uh, uh, if I don't, I mean, I think that the nuts and bolts of it are that, uh, I mean, he sort of goes off in these little digressions about uh, different countries around the world, about France, Italy, about the Chinese. And 
um, he he just basically makes incredibly uh, racist remarks about <laughs> about uh, about those about you know people or behaviours in uh, in those particular countries. I mean, really, um, you know, just very cliched stereotypes that he's 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 playing on there, and they don't really bear much relation to the script, which I think plays into this idea that these were things that were you know ad libbed by coolio himself because you just can't think well that this would you know this dialogue is not moving the plot forward in any way shape or form it's not really telling you anything about this character other than the fact that he's a massive racist and you you just can't think you can't think <laughs> there, there is one there is one such uh instance that foreshadows a scene of the film actually as the when the the, the remark about the italians because it starts off about the Lamborghinis and then the Lamborghini is used in a chase later yes. on in the film. So this one, I'm sure, was really intricately written <laughs> into, the, into the script. But yeah, yeah. So basically, Italians can only make cars and be gangsters or make spaghetti. Yeah, they're really good at that, too. Uh, the, French, the French are not very manly people who make good wine. <laughs> and then at some stage he, he he's talking to Dacascos, who's supposed to be half Chinese in the film, uh, as far as I understand. And uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, Chinese people, they're really I don't know exactly what he says, like, but he, he basically insults them." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, Coolio is he's a, he's uh, he's just a sort of non-stop sass machine in in this film. He's uh, he's very one note. He's he's I I found him quite irritating in this film even though he was livening up proceedings he he was quite irritating and i had i pretty much had my fill of coolio in this movie it's true but also at the same time he accepted or he wanted to not be taken too seriously you know there's that that scene in the when they're in the bath with Takascos <laughs> and the japanese woman Nor- norika arrives and like you know offers them a deal and to work with them and they're like oh how do we know you don't have you're not wearing a wire and so and so she strips completely nude and the the both the both guys are like standing in the in the pool and the gascos looks at coolio and is like maybe you should sit down buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he quite clearly is happy to have a little bit of fun poked at him and i i think given how crude he is and how often charmless he is in this film i think it is uh probably to his credit that he is prepared to have a little bit of fun poked at him at uh, his expense we should probably also talk about um coolio as a action movie performer in this film because uh you know he's surrounded by these all these other actors who are performing martial arts and uh you know coolio gets to uh also uh take part in some uh uh one-to-one uh beatdown action um what did you make of uh coolio as a uh martial artist in this film Obviously, he really outmatches everybody. He, I mean, <laughs> even even if they had had Jet Li for the film, no, Coolio would have won. No, look, um, the <laughs> the action scenes with Coolio. The thing is that when they're filming him, it's pretty quick. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't uh, linger on him uh, performing martial arts. Uh, they 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 shot they sh- they shoot it pretty uh, wide, uh, or. On the contrary, pretty close. No, there's no, there's no like um, middle scale 
shots that yeah. would allow for uh, perfect readable action when Coolio is uh, performing his stunts or his moves. But uh, that being said, I mean, I think the final set piece, uh, can we can we say what it is? Yeah, I think we yeah. definitely need to talk about yeah. that. So the final set piece is like involves uh, characters uh, in hand-to-hand combat on a piece of glass that is being uh, carried by a helicopter. So they're basically fighting on a piece of glass that's like, I don't know how many meters above the, the ground. Um, so it's, it's quite an impressive set piece and Coolio's character works okay in the scene. Like, uh, if you don't pay too much attention to how lousy his kung fu is, <laughs> it's, it's because, it's because you caught up in the, you know, in the spectacle. Mm. then it's just it's okay like you know you don't it, it, i didn't mind too much like but in the previous fight like in the temple you know that, that sort of huge temple where just before the final set piece uh starts they fight a bit uh, in that place and that's yeah that's it's just you, you can see that he must have learned a few moves for the film but it just just it doesn't translate extremely well on screen yeah, Stanley Tong, I think, is really helping Coolio out in those scenes by the way that he's choosing to shoot them. As you say, it's it's either those very wide shots or very close in and the cutting is really uh, quick so that you can't really critique what he's doing. And so, you know, because obviously he's not able to really put a sequence of moves together and respond to what um you know his the, his sparring partner is doing in those moments so um it's mu- much in the same way that you get these um you know people like Liam Neeson or whatever in in these action movies now it's mu- it's shot in much the same way that uh, uh, their action scenes are, are, are filmed and uh, although there are uh, i think what there is one particular thing that i did enjoy about Coolio um as a as a kind of uh, martial arts opponent in this film was that um he's he's quite clearly a very tall man and he has phenomenally long legs which <laughs> made some of his uh, roundhouse kicks um very very unique i, I, mean, I don't think i i don't, don't think i've seen anybody quite as tall as coolio um you know trying to do a, a kung fu film and um you know there, there probably is something there in if you know get somebody really tall and it, it probably adds something new to a fight scene that uh, we haven't seen before well, there was this there was this uh, legendary fight between uh, Bruce Lee and, and an extremely tall opponent uh-huh. in the, uh, in I think it was Enter the Dragon. Uh, a very very tall guy, like huge guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was ridiculous, like almost twice the size as Bruce Lee. Uh, so I remember that. But uh, yes, you you have you you're right. Coolio is a very tall guy, and uh, as such can uh, pass as a you know a competent mm-hmm. enough on screen kicker. Uh, because of his legs now it could have been worse it could have been steven cigar versus mike tyson in china salesman <laughs> a film where they shot a fight scene where the two actors were never together on set oh my goodness oh yeah yes yeah. so, so you see cigar fighting against some stuntman and then you see tyson fighting against some stuntman and they edited it together oh dear. so yeah, yeah, it could have been, it could have been that bad. But no, but Stanley Tong is, um, he's a choreographer himself, an action choreographer. So like, uh, when given, when given someone like Coolio, uh, I'm sure that as soon as he knows who he has to work with, he knows the way he's gonna cut his scenes and the way he's gonna film them. And he makes it in a way that it, you know, it pass, passes off as, mm. you know, an, an okay fight scene. But fortunately, like, his other fighters, especially the Cascos, you know they can 
they can fight properly. And so his fight scenes, there aren't as many, as many as I would have hoped, mm. but uh, his fight scenes are pretty well shot. Actually, he has like Tang has a kind of a clean, clear directing style, and he also has the ability to make his movies look expensive or like, like there's more money than there's actually is. So maybe not particularly on uh, China Strike Force, but his previous films and then the films he made like after the year 2000, uh, they look ridiculously opulent. Um, and it's a guy who who has the ability to make to make scenes work very, very well, even if the film itself is, you know, passable. So I don't know if you've seen The Myth from 2005. I haven't, no. So that was a Jackie Chan vehicle. And towards the end of the film, we have Jackie Chan battling dozens of enemies in ancient China. And he's literally standing on a pile of corpses. Uh, like that he's just slain mm. and he he's shot by a, like a poisoned arrow and so he's about he's, he's about to to die like so and he he takes a spear to hold himself onto so that he doesn't fall so he's he's almost dead like and he's still standing and the other general comes up to him bows to him before killing him properly mm. and that, that's a scene that's like you see the whole film and you're like, yeah, yeah, it's an okay movie, like nothing that I'm gonna remember forever. And then that scene shows up and you're like, wow, that was impressive. And I think that's pretty much the same that happened for me in China's Track Force with the final set piece and, you know, with the helicopter and the piece of glass that I wasn't expecting something that ambitious in terms of uh, setup and stunts given what comes before. Well, let's talk a little about the uh, stunts in this film. And we've already spoken a little bit about um, a couple of uh, car chases that uh, uh, take place or motorbike chases that take place um, in this particular film. Uh, but I think the the one stunt that I really want to um, to talk about, it takes place at the end of this film. And it's the, the one which uh, we've already mentioned, whereby at the end of the film, we see um, our couple of heroes taking on Coolio on a piece of glass, which is being dangled at the top of a, uh, a skyscraper. So this piece of glass is just uh, lying flat. The two heroes and Coolio is the villain are all on this uh, piece of glass, which is uh, seesawing upwards and down hundreds of feet um, above the ground. And I thought that that was an absolutely fantastic stunt. Uh, I, it, was, it was really it totally gripped me. And, you know, I've watched this film sort of twice now. And this scene was clearly cheated because there was no way you'd have these actors hundreds of feet above the ground balancing on a, on a piece of glass. But I, you know, I don't know what the trickery was behind how they cheated that sequence. But I thought that was an absolutely fantastic sequence. I was really tense during that because I could, you know, it really did seem like those actors were hundreds of feet above the ground balanced delicately on this piece of glass whilst trying to um you know have these this sort of choreographed martial arts uh particular fight i mean what did, what did you you know make of that particular scene oh yeah i loved it as well i thought it was really impressive as i said before like i wasn't expecting the movie to end on such a high note uh in terms of stunts that was very ambitious and they pulled it off really well uh now in terms of how they did it um Look, I don't know. Actually, I, like as I said, information is really scarce online, mm. and I couldn't find like any behind-the-scenes videos or anything. But 
if that movie had been made 15 years before and only involved uh, Hong Kong actors, I would have said, yeah, they really did it. They, they really went like, yeah, I know, they, they did. Like, but but because because it involves, uh, you know, American people, uh, I suppose they didn't. <laughs> American lives <laughs> matter. <laughs> uh, no, it's just it's just chicken, you know. <laughs> so, in, in Hong Kong, you would be like, oh, I need I need a scene where people fall off a helicopter two thousand uh, feet over. Uh, and uh, Chinese, Hong Kong actors, oh yeah, no problem, just, just put a, a mattress on the ground and like I'll be fine. No, no, like uh, it's a it's a serious thing the way uh, Hong Kong uh, stunt performers would do insane things, and yeah. very dangerous things in the 80s and 90s uh, that no one else would do in the world, and especially not in America. But this is the year 2000. It's in mainland China, in Shanghai, and it involves Kuryo. So, so for any for any difficult shot where he would have had like to have a good balance on the glass or anything like that, I'm going to wager that it was a stunt, a stuntman, mm-hmm. and that for any they would just add in the close-ups later on, you know. And as for the rest, well, I'm I'm gonna have to go with uh, a blue screen or green screen, I suppose. Or in a studio, they recreated the the background, possibly. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk... Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This happens as part of the film's finale. Our two villains attempt to escape the clutches of the police in a helicopter. Uh, Unfortunately, the getaway is compromised by a Rolls-Royce car belonging to Coolio, which is dangling from a cargo net underneath the helicopter. And it's to this cargo net that our heroes and villains clutch as the chopper takes off. The helicopter flies across the city before it flies, for reasons that aren't entirely clear, into the side of a building. It appears to get stuck there for a few moments before then exploding. Um, Alex, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? Well, it's a very, it's a very, com- like, it's a very exhaustive, complete scene, isn't it? I mean, there's a helicopter action scene <laughs> involving Rolls Royce and to get there one of the characters uses a motorcycle so, <laughs> so it's like you know all kind of it's, it's uh, all kind of vehicles and when uh, when finally you see the, the chopper uh, getting stuck uh, on the building so there's like it, there's two explosions really isn't there so like the first small explosion Kurio jumps off the helicopter mm. and lands on the piece of glass uh, so basically, basically the first explosion really, uh, like, you know, it drives the action into the final set piece. And then there's like a, a few minutes later, the, the helicopter really explodes for good. Somehow it hadn't exploded for good yet. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, that's like the, that concludes the, the final, the final fight. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought it was an, a very earned mm. helicopter explosion, you know. 
because as soon as you see as soon as you see all of this you know getting together like you see there's a there's a Rolls Royce and then there's a helicopter arriving like so obviously I watched the film because I was going to be on the exploding helicopter podcast <laughs> but even if I hadn't been uh, go, going on the podcast I would have thought okay something's going to happen with the chopper you know yeah. something has to happen and they really you know they they build up to that and when they do make it explode I think it's it really pays off really well yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought this was a, um, a fabulous exploding helicopter. Uh, and I think mostly for, for the fact that it was integrated into such a spectacular, um, stunt sequence that we see taking place on this glass. And, you know, the fact that, um, you know, when the, when the, the helicopter kind of like finally explodes, you know, we see Coolio, uh, well, you know, we're not no spo- no spoilers here. I mean, obviously, you know, Coolio's going to meet a sticky end. You know, he's the villain of the piece. I don't think we're giving any spoilers away. The fact that he meets a sticky end after this uh, fight on on the glass here, but there's a you know, as a consequence of the of this helicopter exploding, we see the the glass we see the glass shattering, and we see sort of two of the heroes working together in quite a creative way in order to save themselves. So, I mean, overall, the exploding helicopter is part of this fabulous um stunt work this fabulous um action scene so i mean i was thoroughly satisfied by the exploding helicopter action i got to see in china strike force you know it also works so well because um the heroes and and kuryu they have like when they fight they have to make sure that they keep the balance of the glass you know they keep they, they keep mm. the glass balanced and that they don't fall off it uh so that's you know so they're fighting against someone. They have to keep the, the glass balanced and the helicopter still hasn't exploded. So that's like three, three <laughs> threads, you know, like triple thread, like in one scene, which, which makes it really like, you know, nerve wracking. It's, it's really efficient. But, uh, I thought just to, uh, add a, a little, um, one, one more thing on the final set piece that I thought, um, it played really, really well on the, on the verticality of the action. And, uh, the way it is like stratified into several layers, like you have, you have the fight on the glass and then you have the glass itself about to tilt one way or the other. And then you have the helicopter above. And obviously you have like the, the, the fear of falling off the glass. I thought it was really good. And you have like people falling off, objects falling off. And, uh, I, I don't know if it's a good connection to make, but I thought of, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, uh, at the end of it, when you have, you know, Mary Jane is trapped in the in Venom's web, and you have also the same the same kind of play on verticality, where the hero, uh, where the characters have to beware of dangers coming from above and uh, from below. So, you know, I thought that was an interesting power to make. Yeah, no, it's a really well put together um, action scene. That's uh, that's for sure. Okay, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Um, Alex, thanks for joining me to discuss uh, China Strike Force. Do you want to take a moment to tell people where they can find you online? Well, sure. It's uh, so on Twitter. I'm if you look for one perfect headshot, or my hand, my handle is Head Exposure. So it comes from the fact that uh, I co-created a website a few years ago called Film Exposure, which is mostly in French, but, uh, we also have articles in English, um, with, so with a few friends, uh, who are from Switzerland and, uh, we dive really deep. We try to dive really deep into uh, the films that we, uh, that we talk about. 
So, so the name comes from this end. Uh, so the handle comes from this end. The, the long name, one perfect headshot, as Will said before, <laughs> comes from a, <laughs> a reference to another Twitter account. Um, yeah, that's it. Like I'm, I'm on Twitter fairly often. I'd say every day. Uh, it's easy to reach out to me. Uh, easy to talk to me. Uh, um, I yeah, I'm mainly talking about action movies at the moment, but I'm just as likely to talk about horror movies, sci-fi films, thrillers. I like musicals too. I like any kind of films, but uh, I'm kind of in, in into the into a big action phase at the moment. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Will. No, it's absolutely uh, my my pleasure, and uh, you know I would uh, encourage anyone listening to go and uh, follow you on Twitter because. You know, I have um, learned a lot about uh, many films that I had, uh, you know, never heard of. But uh, you know, from your postings, I have thought, oh yeah, this is this is one that I really want to uh, check out, and this is one that I'm really intrigued by. So yeah, I would big recommend from me to go and uh, you know follow yourself um, online. Um, as always, don't forget to uh, check out the Exploding Helicopter website. We've got. Uh, uh, the surprisingly cryptic web address of explodinghelicopter.com. You can also find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Tumblr. Uh, we're in all of those places. We'll be back soon. But until then, as always, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.